I'm Joanna Roach, and you're listening to The Nature of Nantucket, brought to you by the Mariah Mitchell Association. I'm here today with Dr. Regina Jorgensen, who is the Director of Astronomy at the Mariah Mitchell Association, and we are going to chat a little bit about her job, her life on Nantucket, and some interesting things that she has to share with us about the sky and about the future of astronomy. Welcome, Regina. Hi, thanks so much. I'm excited to talk to you today and have you share a little bit of your story with our listeners. So how about we start with like what I call it the Nantucket origin story. (laughs) How did you like where'd you grow up? How'd you get interested in astronomy and how did you end up on Nantucket? Yeah, all great questions. Um, So I grew up in California um, on the West Coast and I think I was just always interested in space as a kid. I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, I loved the night sky, loved learning about the solar system, all that sorts of stuff. And um, I actually first came to Nantucket when I was an undergraduate student and I was awarded a place in the research experiences for undergraduate program that we run here at the Mariah Mitchell Association. So I was basically one of the summer astronomy interns and came here. I had no idea um, what Nantucket was. I didn't know that it was an island. And I sadly never even heard of Mariah Mitchell before at that point in my life. So it was a very kind of life-changing experience for me. Um, I was fortunate enough to be working under the former director of astronomy, um, Vladimir Stolinsky, who was just an absolutely fantastic mentor. And... um, he ran such a great program, um, giving all of the interns real research experiences. And it was the first time that I did real astronomy research and I published a paper and the whole experience was just sort of life-changing, which is what the, the point of the REU program is supposed to be, to give um, young people an experience of what it's like to do, um, in this case, astronomy research. Um, so that's how I first came to Nantucket. And then I somewhat stayed connected with the Mariah Mitchell Association. Um, And I ended up, um, when I finished my undergraduate degree, I got something called a Watson Foundation Fellowship, which is a fellowship where you can um, travel outside of the United States for a year. And I came up with a project studying women in astronomy and the effects of culture on science. I got really interested in why there were so few women in astronomy. And I wanted to look at it from an international perspective what the situation was in different countries and had a great year um, traveling, which is a whole nother story I can talk about (laughs) at length at another time. But anyways, I came back from that. And um, I, of course, that was the late nineties. There was no ability to apply for graduate school or anything like that when you're traveling internationally. And um, Vladimir basically gave me a job. He said, come, cause you know, I was like, what should I do next? And he said, come work here as the assistant director and help me out with running the program and and running sorts of the observatory here on Nantucket. So I came back actually for three, what turned into three years um, here on Nantucket, helping out as the assistant director before I eventually went off to graduate school um, to get my PhD in physics. Okay. And when did you come back? Yeah, so I came back um, in and started as the director in astronomy in 2016. And so I've been here since running that program. 2016. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the changes in the technology that exists around 
because also I, I know that, you know, the way in which you use the Loins Observatory when you were an intern and the way in which you use it now are different. So if you could give us a little bit of history on the Loins Observatory and just talk about how you use it and how you used to use it. Yeah, definitely. When I was a student here, we had just one dome, the main big dome, if you've been out there, um, that was there. And inside was our historic Clark refracting telescope. That's, you know, well over 100 years old. And we just use with by eye observing. So there's no computer, um, no electronics hooked up to it. Um, at, in about, I forget the exact date, sometime around 2007 or eight, um, Vladimir actually applied for um, a large NSF grant and raised some other money to build a second dome and to buy our large um, research telescope that we have now. Um, and so that, that happened and the Clark was moved into the smaller dome. And in the large dome, we installed the 24 inch um, research telescope that we now have. Of course, it's um, also backed up by a, um, a, a chip that we're able to take images of the sky. So when we do our research, we don't actually just use our eye and look through a telescope, but we actually record images of the sky, whatever it is that we're looking at. And then we study those images on a computer later. Um, and so we're able now to do this um, from Nantucket. And so the telescope has been used in many different research projects over the years um, that have been done by our students looking at different things, um, stars that change their brightness over time, um, stars that have planets around them, exoplanets. And as the planet passes in front of the star, it causes the star's light to decrease. Um, and you can actually calculate um, sort of the radius and the mass of the planet. Um, we also have done some projects on um, uh, quasars and a particular long running project. This is a fun one um, that Vladimir started back when I was a student on a star called MWC349. And it's a star that has a disk of gas and dust around it. And in that disk, um, there are masers and lasers being produced. So kind of like a laser, like you hear, you've heard about, um, but the maser is the same sort of thing, but in the microwave regime. And um, what that means is they're really, really bright. So if you had radio eyes and you looked at this star, it would be the brightest thing in the night sky. Um, and so this, these masers, um, as well as the, the actual optical brightness of the star change with time. And we can look at all of that information to learn a lot of what's happening in the environment of the star. And one of the things that we thought way back when, I actually, this is what I did my research project on when I was a student here, is that it had planets um, orbiting around the star kind of within this disk um, of gas and dust that we're seeing. So we're still monitoring that particular star. Um, and every student who comes through in the summer does take data on MWC349. And we are actually still working with Vladimir on studying um, this kind of long-term monitoring of this particular star. So uh, have you always been been and had this particular interest in stars? Because I also know that you have studied the, you know, fast burst radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I think my actual research is in galaxies. So my actual um, research that I spend most of my time doing is galaxy formation and evolution. And to do that, I, I because I'm interested in looking at galaxies in the early universe. So how did they first form very, very long ago? And since that means they're very, very far away, you actually need really, really large telescopes. So the biggest telescopes in the world. Um, and so I primarily use those for my research, but of course, 
you know, galaxies are made up of stars. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, as astronomers, we tend to have an area of specialty, but will be interested in lots of different things because they're all somewhat connected. And then separately, I'm also now, um, you know, working on these fast radio bursts that you mentioned, um, which are, again, both connected with stars and galaxies um, in a lot of interesting ways. And, you know, in the time that you've been an astronomer, can you talk or speak to the evolution of that science a little bit? Because, you know, certainly you're probably right on the cusp of technology really influencing how the research was done. And then certainly as that progressed, it's changed quite a bit. So what's what's that experience been like, Regina? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. So actually with two, two different things I'll speak to, exoplanets and FRBs. So in the late 90s, when I was an intern here, um, the first exoplanet, so planets around other stars than our sun, um, were actually just discovered. So at that prior to that point, the late 90s, we actually had zero evidence for planets around other stars. People suspected that there might be, but nobody could prove it yet. So it was the late 90s when the first actual data and evidence came in that there were planets around other stars. And it was really um, groundbreaking because it changed our worldview of, you know, we, you know, exist on this planet around the sun and there's eight other or seven other (laughs) planets. And, you know, we're super, super special because there are no other planets out there. But actually now over the course of the last uh, 25 years, you know, we now know that there are planets around probably every star and planetary systems are actually really, really common. So it's common for, for stars to have multiple different planets similar to our solar system. Um, and now what folks are doing is trying, of course, because everybody's interested in life and could there be life on these other planets, is trying to determine whether or not there could be life by detecting atmospheres of these planets. So this is one of the main missions of uh, JWST, the new space telescope, is to try to detect atmospheric signs of possible life. Of course, it's very difficult to do, um, but around planets, um, you know, around other stars. And so that's new field, you know, within the time um, this most recent um, couple of decades. And then even newer than that is the field we alluded to earlier, which is fast radio bursts. So these are really exciting um, new astronomical phenomenon Mm -hmm. that were first even discovered in 2008. So um, there has not been a lot of time that has passed since we've even known that the, of course they existed way before it, but we didn't detect them um, until the first time was in 2008. And now it's opened up a huge field of research with um, huge international dedicated teams and telescopes being built to try to understand what is creating these fast radio bursts. And my particular um, team, what we're doing is we're, we're trying to help in that effort, but we're also have realized that we can actually use the fast radio burst signal to study the space in between where the fast radio burst went off and us here on earth, because all of the matter that's along the line of sight actually imprints onto the signal of the fast radio burst. And so we can actually study that very carefully and learn about the intergalactic space, um, which is a really important component if you're interested in studying how stars and galaxies form, because the material to form the stars and galaxies has to come from someplace. And it turns out that material is in what we call the IGM, the intergalactic medium, or the space around galaxies. Right. And is is it is most of that research in terms of the fast radio burst 
stuff, right? Is that coming from direct observation or is it coming from um, you're studying data, you're, you're distilling data? How does that work? Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a couple different ways. So we work with the radio astronomers who actually detect the fast radio bursts. So they have these really large arrays of radio telescopes that are looking at the sky all the time. And they will detect the fast radio bursts because they're really bright and they go off and they give a really, really bright, intense signal to the radio telescope. And then the radio telescope um, astronomers tell us, tell my team, hey, there was a burst that went off in this part of the sky. And then what we do is we use our telescopes to go observe that part of the sky. And we take data of that part of the sky. And usually there's a galaxy there. And we try to then understand the host galaxy of the burst using our observational data. So it is all data-based and um, we are collecting the data ourselves with our telescopes and then we analyze it, study it, um, write papers and learn about the host galaxy and the intervening space in the process. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, let's bring this back to Nantucket, right? Yeah. And, and just sort of the experience of studying the night sky here and what makes that special and some of the things that people should take the time to sort of notice and observe. Yeah, yeah. So obviously Nantucket is such a special place. I think, um, you know, not only because of the history of, you know, Mariah Mitchell and the history of Nantucket and women on Nantucket and all of that, um, but it's also a special place for the night sky. Um, you know, it is dark. We are pretty far away from any major light sources like Boston. Um, the Cape is a little bit bright. If you're on the North Shore, you can definitely see some lights towards the north. Um, but for the most part, it's really, really dark here. So we're very, very lucky to be living in a dark skies place. Um, and, you know, one of the best things to do is to see the Milky Way in the summertime when the moon, when we're in a new moon phase or so when there's not a bright moon and it's dark and you can actually see the Milky Way stretch across the sky. Um, so, you know, it's a really, it is a special place um, to to be living and to be doing astronomy. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any uh, astrologic astronomical events that are happening in this next year that people should particularly pay attention to? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, first off, we have International Dark Skies Week, which is going to be April 15th to the 22nd. And we'll be doing a special open night up at Loins um, on the night of April 20th. So I'd encourage everyone to stop on by if you're on Nantucket. Um, and then in um, July, um, July, late night, July 22nd, early July 23rd, we're actually going to be doing a special um, celestial stakeout open night where we'll be there early in the morning. So at about 4 a.m. Um, to give people a chance to view Jupiter and Saturn through the telescope because they won't be up in the evening time. Um, and then in October this year, on October 14th, um, there's going to be an annular solar eclipse. Now, this is not a total solar eclipse. This is an eclipse where the moon is actually slightly closer to us than normal. And so it doesn't completely cover the disk of the sun. There's actually like a ring of light that peeks out around it. That's what the annular part means. Um, and so this, this type of eclipse is never safe to view without eclipse glasses, even if you're on the line of totality. Um, but 
But from Nantucket on October 14th, we will see just about 15 to 20% of the surface of the sun eclipsed. So it'll be cool if you have eclipsed glasses um, or we'll pull out the solar telescope. You'll see just a little bit of the sun will be darkened by the moon. It won't be something, though, that you'd notice if you didn't know it was happening. It won't really get that much darker at all. So you probably wouldn't notice it was even happening from here on Nantucket. But then the really exciting one will be in 2024 um, on April 8th, where we're actually going to have a total solar eclipse that will pass the um, pass over the United States. Um, and totality runs from sort of Mexico up through sort of the central U.S. to the northeast and then into Canada. Um, unfortunately, here on Nantucket, we're not in the path of totality. So we won't be able to see totality, um, but we will see about 85 to 90 percent of the sun eclipsed. So with this type of eclipse, you still need you, if you're on Nantucket, you'd still need um, glasses to view it safely. Um, but at that percentage, we will you would probably notice it'll get a little bit darker. It won't become completely dark as like when you're in totality, but you'd, you'll probably notice that in general, you know, in, at if it hopefully it's a clear day and it's sunny, you'll notice that it appears, it'll seem like clouds have just come overhead, even if there aren't any clouds. Okay, well, all that sounds very exciting. Yeah. Um, I think maybe my last sort of question for you would really be to talk a little bit about the intern program mm -hmm. and share a little bit about that background. Yeah, yeah, so the intern program um, in astronomy has been, you know, really going since almost the beginning of the Mariah Mitchell Association in the early 1900s. The first um, recorded intern that I know about was in 1914. And since that time, um, the MMA has welcomed um, interns here in the summertime to do research. And originally it was just women um, until about the 1970s when the first men started um, to participate. And so Mariah Mitchell has a very, very long history of encouraging and supporting women in astronomy through the internship program. And the great thing, you know, about the internship program is that it really gives students a chance to experience what it's like to do real astronomical research. Um, so having hands-on experience doing research and of course using our telescope here now to do research. And this is really important because not only are we um, encouraging folks um, you know, to go into STEM careers and to go into astronomy research, but also when we do our public outreach, which is of course also a popular part of the program here, um, the public loves to hear about, you know, kind of the updated current research in astronomy and what's happening in the field. And so it really allows us to um, to give that to the public as well, because they love they just love hearing about that. Well, thank you, Regina, so much for joining us today and sharing a little bit about your work and yourself. And if you have been listening, I'm Joanna Roach. Our podcast is called The Nature of Nantucket. And we've been speaking with Dr. Regina Jorgensen, who is the Director of Astronomy at the Mariah Mitchell Association. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>